Hey, all you hot messes. This is your hot mess, Teacher Express, Jess. And I am here today with a very, very special guest. I love her passion and her drive for her job. Because listen, teaching these days is not something that they taught you in school. We don't take a class on pandemic teaching. And even before this whole pandemic nightmare, college courses don't really prepare you for the real life teaching in a real world classroom. If you feel like you are in way over your head as a new teacher, or maybe you've been teaching for a long time, you're not alone. And our very special guest today was feeling the exact same way. Braylon was a special education teacher in way over her head. Realizing that her degrees in special education hadn't really prepared her for the practicals and the day-to-day of her new job, she decided to create a YouTube channel to document all that she had learned. With the hope of inspiring other educators to handle behavior, paperwork, caseloads, and creating IEPs in order to support as many children as possible. I am so excited to talk with her today, woman to woman and general ed teacher to special ed teacher. Please let me introduce that special educator, Braylon. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much. Of course, I'm really excited. I'm excited to be here. And that was a beautiful intro. Oh my oh, gosh. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all true. All true, girl. Um, how how you been? How's how's the start of the school year? Yeah. Well, I actually was talking to my boss today. Well, this week was not my best week. Let's just start it off. I'm a little <laughs> bit more tired this week than I was last week. I was more fresh. But um the start of the school year has actually been really good and I hate to say it because I know other people are struggling. Um, But I've so far really loved it. And I think maybe because I'm a little more used to like being in a pandemic and teaching Mm. and I'm not teaching like hybrid, which is what I was doing last year. And so that those two factors gone, I'm feeling I'm feeling a lot better. So, so far, so good. Yeah. And actually, I want to mention this too. If people are new teachers or anyone who's listening, I was like really intentional at the end of last school year. I planned my first two weeks of school. I um, kept some of the materials I had made, tried to put them in like folders. Um, mm. I tried to just jot out like overall pacing things based on the curriculum. So I didn't do a ton, but I did enough that I felt like I could enjoy my summer and not like have to print and work. So that really helped too. Wow. Okay. So you brought, mm-hmm. you knew you were like, mm-hmm. you're ready. I was ready. You're in, ready for this break. <laughs> in the Northeast where I live, right? Like in Boston, school kind of ends kind of yeah. late in June, right? So I was yes, like, yes, it does. It was like the day, the last day. I felt like a kid in, in like elementary school where you don't even bring your backpack <laughs> the last day because it's that um, field day. I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. no backpack, nothing. <laughs> That last day, I was like, peace out, gotta go. We out. We out. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know. I always hate it. Like, I feel like up here, it's because I'm in New Hampshire, so we're we're in the same yeah. general area. And up here, I would watch people, like, get out in mid-May on Instagram. And I'm like, yes, miserable. have, like, six weeks left. <laughs> six weeks there was one teacher i follow who's like an early childhood special ed teacher she was like the end of april she's like starting to pack up my room and she was done by like may 3rd i was sick i was done june 25th i was like i'm gonna throw up i have two months but it does come back around to help us because they go back like beginning of august and we go back basically after labor day a lot of times sometimes it's a little earlier in new hampshire because like yeah um like in maine too sometimes they go the week before labor day yeah but it does kind of even out and it really helps but i, I think up it's not to get too like new englandy but up here it's cold <laughs> it's cold until yes. like literally july and then it's yeah. hot through august so it kind of does work in our favor <laughs> oh yeah and well and then like in september i would remember like even going into my classroom and just like be so sweat like pouring yes. sweat 
Because they don't play ACs in school. No, they no, they don't. I have an AC this year. Okay, fun. This is the true hot mess. I have an AC this year in the... So my classroom has three miniature windows. Because it's like not in the basement, but it's on the first floor and we're on a hill. It's rough. Oh, yeah. So one of the three baby windows is an AC, but you can't reach it because it's so high up that I'd have to climb on this bookshelf to like touch and turn it on i couldn't find the thing so i i jury rigged like these meter sticks <laughs> but you gotta do you gotta do you gotta do what you gotta do i'm about to start a petition i'm about to start a petition for new england schools to go back october 1st i'm, I'm right yes. there agreed i will lead that battalion with you no way jose Ooh, you can bring your meter stick and we can lead the troops. <laughs> I like when I laugh a lot, I start to tear up, so don't mind me. I was just like no. wiping the tears from my eyes. Uh, yep, same Z's. Okay. <laughs> okay, that was that was a good little that was a good little visual there too. Just the struggle. <laughs> the struggle is real everywhere. <laughs> no matter where you are. that's so good so (laughs) what is your what's your classroom like this year yeah so besides like what are your students like and (laughs) with your like maybe (laughs) like 30 percent sunlight (laughs) (laughs) i'm so sorry everyone i'm like derailing the whole thing okay my classroom um so the really good thing is that I have most of the same kids that I had from last year, um, which has been super helpful because I'm in a um, self-contained classroom is probably the most general term. So I have a lot of students with um, different abilities um, and it can span in some years, it spans one grade, two grades, three grades, depending on like the numbers and and the enrollment and stuff. Um, And so there are two classrooms. We kind of overlap in grades to help us with our caseloads. Um, so right now I have first graders, second graders, third graders, and fourth graders. And so um, just a few from each grade. And I have two like assistants or aides or paraprofessionals. And um, yeah, it's been a really fun time. My room is kind of small. I definitely couldn't be used for any other type of room. <laughs> and I think other types of classrooms, like a general ed classroom with like, you know, 20 something can like kindergartners or third graders would not fit. Um, but right now my caseload's really small. It's about like six. So okay. I'm about to take on a few more, maybe a few more students from other rooms if how things shake out. You know, sometimes at the beginning of the year yeah. things are still like settling in. Um, but yeah, it's so far so good with all the different grades and all the different kids. (laughs) Good. Glad Mm -hmm. to hear it. Okay. So how did you, how did you get started? How did you, did you always want to be a special education teacher? Um, you know, no, I always (laughs) wanted to be, I think I actually didn't even know. Cause you know, in the nineties and two thousands, now that I'm thinking about this and have had time to ruminate on these questions, I think I've, I don't think there was like special ed was as prevalent or like obvious to us at school, like when mm. we were younger. Yeah, I would. Like those, yeah. those students were around. Um, I even yeah. to say like that, but the rooms weren't like, it wasn't the same. There wasn't as emphasis on inclusion and all these other things. Like special ed has come really far in the last uh-huh. 20 to 30 years. So um, yeah. I always. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah, like think about like, oh, where did I have a student with autism in my ki- first grade class yeah. for inclusion with an aide? I didn't. And I went to kindergarten, first grade no. in 2000, I... 2001. Wow. Yeah. No, you're right. Wow. Yeah. So I haven't really thought about that before. <laughs> there, yeah, there was like a big, big push. Um, anyway, not to get into too much of the history, but there's a big, big push around 2001. But anyway. I really wanted to be a teacher. So I went to kindergarten and I remember that first day thinking this is like all I want to do. I love school. I love learning. I love pencils, paper, erasers, all of it. I wanted the whole thing. I was like, I want to hold a pencil case for the rest of my life. Like it was a big (laughs) moment for me. (laughs) I literally loved everything about it. And my parents are not teachers. So I wasn't around like educators um but it was kind of the path i chose it was what i wanted forever and through high school people would try to get me to like 
you know, maybe be a nurse or be a pharmacist. You'll make more money or something. And I was like, "Mm, absolutely not. So I ended up coming to college in Boston. And at my school, you don't declare your major until maybe like a year or two in. So you know you're into education. You take all those classes. And um, I took a lot of education classes. And so I thought kindergarten teacher, elementary, I don't know. I was a mix. Then... (laughs) then I found out that you could get like a scholarship, like more money from the, from the government. If you go into special ed, because it's, um, what's the word for that? Low enrollment or hard to fill or something like that. Um, because I have the oldest of three and we're all one grade apart. So I knew going into my sophomore, junior year, there's no way, that my parents, the money they were giving me that year, I wouldn't be able to spread between everybody else. Um, and I feel like that's super real as teachers. Like we all have like student debt and like we worked hard to get this job. And I feel like that's not something that's talked about a bunch is like how much debt people can get into or uh-huh. the cost of college, to, like be a freaking <laughs> teacher and make 10 cents an hour. Like it's a yeah, lot. Right. So everyone's drowning and we're all like, how you doing over there? Yeah, like posting our <laughs> on like, your piece Starbucks of cup. Literally, like posting our ten dollars Starbucks drink when like we literally could use that to pay off our loans. Like it's really a problem. Um, but you know, I'm not about to open that can of worms today. No, um, no way. <laughs> anywho, <laughs> uh, so I found that, and so I thought maybe I'll go into it. And I had done like Special Olympics. I had done things with students with disabilities guy had been around mm. them I have some cousins with disabilities and so it was okay but I didn't really have any personal stories that were pushing me into special ed but once I kind of got into that program because I knew it was money um it, I really started to enjoy it and I would do cool you know internships or once I got into student teaching like with some really cool students and I think what I loved the most was like you can still work with kids you can watch like immediate results or you can watch yeah significant growth one-on-one or in a smaller setting than um, in a whole class and that was fascinating to me and you can be creative with what you get to do to like achieve that goal and Mm -hmm. once I kind of started to see those two things I really kind of sold me and I was like wait this is like really fun and this is really cool and I think um it's easy when you find like purpose in something or you find drive Mm. like you're driven by a need or by um I don't know for for me it's like the fact that there are so many students with disabilities that are being underserved yeah um or students of color uh that Mm -hmm. are being underserved that that was like really motivating to me so all of that kind of came together and I was like oh I love this this is what I want to do um yeah it was the best actually my master's was the same thing. There was this flyer my junior year of college for a summer internship to get paid and do research if you were a person of color at a university. And so I did it my junior year. I went to the University of Illinois and I did like this internship. And then they invited me back for a funded master's. So I wouldn't have even no. thought about it had it not been for these people off- offering free money <laughs> me kind of taking them up on that offer. So um, it was fun. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that about your master's. Yeah. I didn't know this, but there are so many funded masters. If you um, like find, find the right way, or you are willing to be a, a teacher or like a teacher's aide. Yeah. Um, or, or any a research assistant or something. I got yeah. like a stipend and free tuition. That is, I know, fantastic. So wow, people good for who you. are listening. Yeah, no, look for those. <laughs> look for those programs. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's so cool. Okay, let's talk about your typical school day. Like, mm. what does that look like? Because it's gonna look a little bit different than a general ed classroom. So, what what does it typically look like? Yeah, I actually had a, um, a sub today for one of my assistants, like my aides, and it was someone who usually works in the general ed class. So it was interesting <laughs> to look at my day through their le- their eyes. Yeah. Um, so I have, like I said, all of my students in different grades. And a lot of it is kind of typical, like they'll come in for 
you know, morning time or work, we do the core subjects. I teach them most of their core subjects, reading, math, science, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it depends on like the structure of that grade level. I think the thing that's different is that I constantly have kids coming in and out of the classroom all day. So, um, for example, my first grade students, they're, um, in my classroom and then they switch to being in their inclusion first grade room, um, with an adult, like a staff member with them, supporting them for their read aloud or for whatever, um, they're there for a couple of hours and then I've timed it perfectly when they come back. It's time when we start math. Um, and a lot of students, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the schedule's fun. Um, you would, you would hate me as a general ed teacher. Cause I'm like, Oh, right. Like they're supposed to go. <laughs> I've literally told my paraprofessionals, like, even if the teacher is still talking and it's nine 45, you're getting up and you're leaving. We go in. And yeah. they, they'll respect you for that. Like I'll, I'll warn oh, yeah. them, you know, um, <laughs> so that has been helpful. Um, everybody has watches, which keeps us on time. We, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of um, people coming in. So speech therapists, occupational therapists, I actually have a speech group that runs in my classroom each day. Oh, cool. And um, the physical therapist comes and does some stuff to help. A lot of the kids, the ESL teacher comes and does a whole group ESL every single day. Um, wow. Which is awesome. So there's some things that people have been able to really help me with to like have that schedule be consistent. So those are some of the things that you'd see, but a lot of it is, um, students working in small groups, working Mm -hmm. one-on-one with me. Um, yeah, just doing a lot of, uh, like foundational skills or life skills. Yeah. Um, So it's a little different. Yeah. Than a, than a gen genetic class but i think the only if you were to look peer in they might not look super different it's just there's a lot more adults yeah (laughs) a ton Uh of adults yeah Mm -hmm. do a lot of your kids have the same sorts of needs um in the sense that you know you have three getting pt at the same time or Mm -hmm. um you know like three or four doing speech we try to group them whenever possible I would say most students just off the bat will get speech and occupational therapy. That's kind of yeah. like salt and pepper to like mm-hmm. any dish, you know, that that's always going to be there. But I think that um, sometimes there are similar skills and it depends on the school. It depends on the service provider that you have, the people and how flexible and kind they are low key mm-hmm. if they're willing to do that. But it kind of does help everybody if they can group them. But I will say in IEPs in almost every state, you do have to specify, you know, the time, how many minutes, you know, how many times per week and how many minutes per week students are getting those services. But a lot of times, even mm-hmm. sometimes it's, it's, if it's individual, if it's in a group, right. depending on some states, they do specify that. So yep. that is kind of where it can get hairy and a little messy if a student really has a high need and they need individual or it was on an IEP already. And we can't really group them until we meet again. And so there yeah. are some little like lo- logistical things that can happen. But for the most part, yes, for sure. Grouping them. And that does help generalize skills and make friends and other things like that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I had, I know that I had like a couple of my previous students were put into groups. Like that was in their IEP to work in groups just for socialization and like yeah. skills in talking and mm-hmm. communicating and yeah it was awesome and everybody's overworked and overrun <clears throat> so like speech <laughs> they have a huge caseload yeah uh, all every person has a huge caseload and so to help them in any way is great <laughs> yeah are you noticing a lot of influx in kids coming out of the pandemic yeah 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 a lot of referrals I think <laughs> a ton of referrals i think the best thing for a school is if they have some sort of RTI or like response to intervention so they can mm-hmm. identify if students, if they really need uh, me, you know, or me a type of type of teacher like me, or if they can um, get a little bit more in different areas. But I, I've noticed a huge influx and I think parents are also more knowledgeable than they've ever been before. So even mm. if the teachers are like, mm, maybe they have, but maybe we'll give them a couple months. A lot of parents are like, no, I've, you know, I've, I've read my Facebook articles. I know, you know, (laughs) so 
it's kind of a good mix of both but i appreciate parents who are like that because it means they're really trying and they're advocating for their kids but yeah i've seen a huge influx in um not just a lack of skills i don't want to phrase it like that because i really think students are where they're at but i think there's there's a difference in in attention and um networking memory um and a lot of social skills that i think can be just fine if you just they just stay in school they'll be fine but i think people are more hyper vigilant now so a lot of referrals for that and yeah sometimes in kindergarten first and second grade those skills just kind of um even out right time yeah well and i think that there was a lot of parents that were home during this pandemic with their children and watching the way that they learned or watching the way that they struggled or, you know, like the various things that kids went through during the pandemic and we're like, Oh yeah. Like, Whoa, (laughs) this is scary to me. And in reality, those, I don't know if those issues. And when I say issues, I mean that in like the loosest sense of the term, but I don't know if those issues were, you know, necessarily problematic in the classroom it's just it's a lot (laughs) yeah i think what i've noticed about special ed in general is it's definitely not a fix-all it's not like a place you go to get fixed you know Mm -hmm. it's a Mm -hmm. it's a it's accommodations it's it's services for students not to fix them just for support you know and i think um it is a tricky time, yes, coming out of this full quarantine aspect of the pandemic because the pandemic's still happening, mm-hmm. but the quarantine isn't happening as much. Just that parents, for the first time, yes, they saw their kids at home, <clears throat> but they saw them on a screen with, against other kids. They saw the pace in which teachers were teaching. They saw mm-hmm. what was expected. And so it wasn't just like, my kid goes to school, they come home, I see their homework. It's like you're seeing the whole experience of how yeah. your child is. And <laughs> I think a lot of people can turn and be like, well, what was, what's going to fix that? Like the fix is special education, which to, for me, I say, no, that's not it. You know, that's not where we go to get fixed. You know, it's, it's, it's a different thing. So I do think there's also been a lot of referrals with that mindset. I don't want to, I'm not putting anyone down. It's just my observation. Um, And, but I think like, yeah, yeah. no, you're right. Like, I think a lot of parents like panicked. Yeah. In the sense, you know, or teachers even panicked looking at the way that kids responded to the whole quarantine teaching and were like, this has to, this, this must be special ed and they can, they can yeah. sprinkle their magic fairy dust. <laughs> and it's a little scary, like something else I've noticed going back to like my classroom and, and special ed in general is, is a lot of families, I don't want to say that. I think there were some, some students who maybe people have felt, oh, they didn't get enough last year mm. or they missed a lot or they, yeah. the teaching, they didn't grasp all those concepts because they were at home on a screen. And so mm-hmm. I think it's just like, yeah, there's just so many layers to education right now and yeah. it's really heavy and, and a little stressful. But um, I truly believe from what I've seen in my short amount of time that a majority of things do kind of uh even out as you get like a little older and maybe that's not a you know that's not a popular opinion from maybe yeah. a special ed teacher but um i i think some people a lot of students they do tend to get get it together as they yeah. get older yeah absolutely some you know like it just takes them a little bit longer to like the popcorn thing some yeah. kernels take a little bit longer to pop and it's okay Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about pandemic teaching from your perspective. Mm -hmm. What was it like as a special education teacher? (laughs) So I have to paint the scene, the context. So the school that I, that I work for, um, they had a pretty intense model for teaching online. So Mm -hmm. it was a lot of like, it was basically the whole hours of the school day. It was really intense it was kind of good. Like the students were like engaged. Like I actually think it was really successful, but when you special ed has to kind of go with the mode of the school. So for me, I was like, well, can you be on for at least five hours a day? And I was like, literally my students can do three 15 minute sessions and they're done. You know, like, but I kind of had to be available for large chunks of the day. 
and schedule things so that parents knew they could come, you know, kind of like it was on paper. But basically in the pandemic, I had all my students, they were on Zoom. They, some of them are nonverbal, some um, use devices. None of them can log onto a computer or an iPad (sighs) on their own. None of them can um, engage without a person being right in front of them. So a screen, I mean, they love like YouTube and stuff, but it's different when it's someone trying to teach you something. So yeah. it required a lot of adults to kind of facilitate, which I think <clears> was really challenging for them. Um, so we would do like uh, a couple morning meeting, a reading class, a math class. And then I would see each student um, on their individually on their own to go through some of their like IEP work, but that was only in 15 minute chunks, but it just all different kinds of diagnoses needed different things. Some kids yeah. needed enlarged images if they had a vision impairment some students needed like i needed parents to take the the pictures of the students like devices like their aac speaking device so i could know where the buttons were like (laughs) because i was directing them on like well we're going to answer this question so they need to get to this screen on their ipad that speaks for them but i can't see in like where it is so they would have to take pictures it was just like such a process um it's such a journey but i we would send home bags of materials each month so that at least if if they couldn't come to my session they could do work on their own but yeah it was just really stressful and like a lot of accommodating a set mm-hmm. tell me why this, the world still decided to do assessments during the pandemic you know what i mean yeah. like it's not like try to adapt an assessment with a mix of like mm-hmm. taking photos on my iphone and like powerpoint you know it's just things were a mess things were a mess but i kind of enjoyed it in a weird way because it was kind of fun because you're like by yourself just teaching one at a time yeah i liked being home but it was super different than um like in-person teaching when you just have a lot more freedom for sure yeah well and it's like a whole different puzzle to try and figure out how to work for these kids (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> something special. Like, it was, oh. yeah. Touch, like, I'm trying to identify sight words. Like, can you touch the word the? But, like, they're, the parent needs to be there to, like, you know. And so then if they're not, if they're like, I gotta go get the baby real quick, then the kids just, like, you know, just, like, swaying on their iPad, watching YouTube. I'm like, I, you're not listening to me. Like, no, no. literally not at all. And siblings helping, parents helping. It was it was a journey. But I, I kind of feel bonded to those kids. Yeah. I don't know if other teachers feel that way. But oh my when you've gone through yeah. something like that, you really bond with them. So I feel like I have a special bond with the students I taught last year. That's different yeah. than any other students I've ever had. So Yeah. Ugh. Love that. Love that. All right. Let's talk about meetings from your perspective. IEP meetings. They scare the living daylights out of me. I I always knew that the caseworker was going to, that the case manager was going to say, all right, Miss Smith, like, what do you <laughs> see in the classroom? I knew every single time that that was going to happen. Even when I forgot about the meeting and they were like, Miss um, Smith, are you coming? Yep. Yep. Totally remembered. But I would get down there. And I'd be like, ah. Uh, uh. <laughs> so they're terrifying for you too. All right. <laughs> they have gotten easier. I feel a lot better with them now. <clears throat> this is like only the start of my fifth year of teaching. Okay. But I definitely think they are terrifying in theory, like when you think about them. So the more you get under your belt and the scarier ones you've had, the more confident you feel with the just generic IEP meetings. And um, definitely at the beginning, they were terrifying just to think all these adults um, there. Um, my first job as a special ed teacher, I actually worked for um, a school that sent students there from multiple districts. Okay. And I'm kind of grateful that I did that. <clears throat> and then if students were struggling so much, they would end up at like hospitals um or uh, residential centers. Okay. So I was kind of grateful because when you, any IEP meeting, even the most run of the mill had like three, you know, a district person, parents, principal, teachers, all the service providers. 
So like my first one right off the bat, age 22, I was like, oh, okay, this is like 10 people like at a conference table. I'm supposed to know what I'm supposed to, like what I'm doing. You know, I have to run this thing. Yeah. And it's a little scary, but I think you kind of just have to like jump in. But I feel like my, the reason it's so scary and I, it totally makes sense to me why people feel that even after years is because it's super litigious mm. and like IEPs are like binding legal documents <laughs> and people take notes in IEP meetings. And if you yeah. promise something in an IEP meeting, it has to be done. <laughs> So you have to choose your words carefully. You can't just be like, oh, it's fine. We'll have Mr. Smith with, sorry, well, <laughs> we'll have Mr. Smith with, um, <laughs> with Johnny 12 hours a day. Like you can't even just throw that out there because right. that will get documented and people yeah. will remember that. And then you have to, you have to back up what you said, what you promised. So you really do have to watch what you say carefully. So I can totally see that. But I think for a general ed teacher, like a word of advice is just kind of just talk up the kid. Like there's yep. nothing scary or you're not going to make any false promises if all you do is talk about the good things. And if there aren't many good things about what they're doing, there's probably something that they like that you can grab onto. Like, yeah. you know, like I know they really like Legos, you know, just kind of <laughs> talk about how they're like building and how that's good for their engineering. Yeah. Life. I don't know. You can, you know, you got to oh, yeah, no, somewhere. I've... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that is like the easiest way to not say anything legally binding, but also like not have to dig too deep into yeah. the kid, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do they do they go over in college how to run an IEP meeting? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I went through. I went to two different universities that pride themselves on special ed. Like, yeah, they put that in the handbook that their number or whatever is special ed. Neither of them did. Not one. Not no. one. Awesome. And I took a class on like on writing IEPs. It was, but it didn't talk about the meeting. So that is <laughs> kind of exactly. It just it doesn't make any sense. Just it's silly. Oh, but I man. thought I knew that kind of going in, and I had a horrible student teaching experience where the lady didn't let me go to any IEP meeting. So that was a horrible experience. But I did kind mm. of. I called my parents who both work at like corporate jobs and mm-hmm. be like, so when you run meetings, like what are some of the things that you do? Or like, how do you do that in your corporate setting? And that was really helpful. And I've read a couple books. I forget the titles, but I've read a couple more like managerial adultish books that yeah. kind of help you with like board meetings essentially. Yeah. And that is helpful. I think they need to look at it from more of like a legal <laughs> place less of like a teacher parent teacher conference it's not the same thing no no definitely (laughs) not definitely not it's definitely way more serious you have to like dress dress up like i remember my boss emailing us one year being like so you can't you really shouldn't be drinking your starbucks coffee in the iep meeting you probably should be eating your granola bars i'm like who are these people and what are they doing but like days of IP meetings I'm like okay I gotta wear like a nice shirt I gotta at least wear like not denim you know <laughs> yeah oh my gosh I remember there was it was like spirit week or something no. and I yeah and I dressed up I can't remember it was like something real real embarrassing I can't no. remember what day it was for <laughs> but it was it was pretty embarrassing um and and I uh, showed up to the IEP meeting because I again I forgot that I had one that day. So, <laughs> oh my gosh! And I think you know to give general ed teachers credit, that is not the primary part of your job, right? And so you have so many meetings, so many students, so many different things. You're not even in charge of the caseload of that kid, so you don't get to see the ins and outs, talk to the parents constantly about mm-hmm. the logistics of the meeting. So. For, for you all, like IEP meetings, yeah, they're just kind of like, they can kind of pop up out of nowhere and like, because it's, it's different. You have so many other kids to worry about. So I think it's, yeah, I've had teachers be like, well, should, what should, what else should I be doing? Or like, do you do anything else? I'm like, no, it's, you have like 80 <laughs> other kids. Like, it's fine. Just show up. <laughs> Don't write your name, on the, write your name on the attendance sheet and just say one thing nice and go. Like, that's all yeah. I'm asking <laughs> 
Um, okay. Let's talk quickly kind of about general ed relationship with special ed and special ed relationship with general ed. Um, what is, what's one thing that you wish general ed teachers kind of understood more about the special ed side of things? Um, now that we're talking about that, I do think the law piece of it, Mm. like, I think, I don't know if they did this in your program when you were in college either, but like reading IEPs and like understanding what they actually mean, (laughs) you know, like, no, right. And so it's like, yeah, and it's crazy. And like, uh, there's so many pieces of it, but even like, what are the goals that they're working on? Like, they might be written in different jargon. But mm. you don't necessarily have to work on all of them if you're not the special ed teacher, but you should be aware of them when you're teaching your writing lesson. And yeah. so just like how to read those and how to understand them, um, how to read evaluations, not that then to take away parts of our job, but just to be a well-informed educator about all the students, you know, mm. and I think that is a skill that's not really hard to do. It's kind of like just reading a data thing, but I totally wish that more maybe gen ed teachers would take the time to like learn about their students in that way um that would be like my biggest thing (laughs) yeah no that's that's a great piece of advice um yeah and you're that's another thing that they never really talked about in school and like how those iep first of all like ieps were kind of this, I don't know, like novel thing that they kind of talked about in college. Mm-hmm. And then I remember getting to my first public school job anyway, and he- being handed an IEP and being like, <laughs> this is a legally binding document. It's like, like 28 pages, but yeah, and it's long, it's scary. but like, it's scary. Like you can flip through and find the reading section, you know, right. or something like that. <laughs> So I think I wish, you know, maybe like a school or just having like a quick training on like how to navigate it or I don't know, something like that. Um, Yeah. But I think that would be my biggest thing. But I think just like special ed teachers and general ed teachers are like, like, you know, two peas in a pod. They're not like at odds or they shouldn't be at odds. Yeah. Like working together. Right. And they can be. And I think... Mm-hmm. One thing that I've kind of learned over the past couple years at at the school that I was at was it was there was kind of this like weird rift between special education and general ed teachers and I'm trying to figure out why and I I think that a lot of general ed teachers are like oh my gosh they get to work one on one with kids so they're not working as hard as me fair is that i've, I've is had that, that like experience. An, have you had that experience before yeah or like people being like oh my gosh you only have seven kids in your class i have 25 like yeah but they all can read yeah and wipe their own you know yeah. and sit like yeah. and so communicate with and you can, literally can actually communicate and open their own snacks you know yeah. like, so i i totally see that i want to give people the benefit of the doubt though i actually do think that majority of it is just like intimidation and un- mm. and like lack of clarity and like what people's roles are in different scenarios and i just think like you know the downfall of any relationship is like unmet expectations but also expectations that haven't been mm. verbalized right mm-hmm. and so i think it doesn't matter if it's a romantic one or working relationship hmm. when the expectations are not talked about and yeah it's not clear on roles and like delineation of tasks, then it's wicked confusing. And then the longer Mm. you go, the more you're like, well, should I have been knowing what I was supposed to do? So then it's just like this loss in translation thing of just like weirdness. And so I really do think it's just a, a a weird relationship that has to be super intentional and special Mm. ed teachers have to do that with speech. They have to do that with literally every other person. So I, I think it's easier to honestly let them take the reins on that because we're already talking to 85 people, but at the flip side, we might not be talking to 85 people. So we might forget one every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but just having intentional meetings beforehand, but I do agree with you. I, I think it can be weird and maybe there are stigmas, but I do think a lot of it is just like this weird lost in translation thing. Yes. And I, I always, I always struggled with um, like, I think a lot of teachers, 
were type A in the sense that like you can't take my kids during this time and like you can't you can't do this during this time and I was always just like yeah like do what you need to do I don't <laughs> like we'll figure it out Literally. when they get back or whatever um but I don't know like it's hard to be super intentional about communication especially I don't know when you're trying to achieve the same goal so I'm trying to understand why there would be so much confusion on being communicative with each other. And what yeah. would be, would you set up a meeting with teachers? Like, how would you set up, how do you, how do you set up that communication? Yeah. So the first, so the first thing I do is I go through my own caseload, knowing mm -hmm. that people might not read the IEP, right? So I try mm -hmm. to write up like a blurb about each student and the specific skills that they're working on um, in most subjects. Then I make a meeting with each teacher to talk through the students. Um, a lot of times by the time I make that meeting, teachers' schedules haven't been finalized yet. You know, it's like one of the first two days of kind of like, if you have a P, like my school, you have like a couple PD days and then yeah. the start of the school year. Yeah. So just, I just ask for 15 minutes, but knowing that, most of the teachers probably haven't put up their schedule yet. If they have, and I can at least have an understanding of when I could come and take the kid or when they'll be with them versus me. Mm -hmm. And granted, I'm more like a self-contained teacher, so I'm mostly in charge of their academics. I think it's for a lot of teachers that do mostly pull-out services or like push-in services. It can be a little trickier because they do, they work in a small office and it's different, but I kind of operate the same way. I, pl I plan to meet with them. I talk through like, well, you know, according to their IP, they're supposed to be in here two hours a day or mm -hmm. be with me two hours a day. This is what it looks like. This is generally kind of the gist of how they are. According to what I've read, you can keep a copy of this. And as soon as I make the schedule final, I will share it with you. Like in Google, my school uses mm -hmm. Google. So I have a very detailed schedule of when they'll be with them, when they'll be with me. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I requested this year is if, you know, they don't have to send me their plans like, I think that's another thing is like some special ed teachers, okay, don't worry, don't give me any plans. I'll take the kid during this time and work on their IEP goals. But I found that it's, so say, say the only time you can get John from second grade is from 10 to 11 for his reading services, but that's right in the middle of math. Like, I totally get why a gen ed teacher wouldn't want that because mm -hmm. it's screwing up the other things that they're doing in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, I've really been intentional on my end about utilizing the work that this classroom is doing to do my work. So instead of like, oh, I'm pulling them out and we're going to work on decoding random stuff, I try to utilize the curriculum that they're already using in the classroom, gotcha. which, is, which helps in the long run mm -hmm. because they're, they're missing less of their day of what the peers are getting. But it just requires a little bit more organization. So I've really requested, hey, before, you know, before you leave on a Friday, I just, you don't even need to send me a detailed lesson plan. I just want to know, like, in the unit, like, are you on unit one, lesson five? Or, you know, just so I have a clear vision of what your week is going to look like. Because yep. I will prep to match you know, I have students who can't read and they're in third grade. So yeah. I can't like read the text, but I can talk about that vocabulary and we can do similar things. I just need to know what you're doing. And so yeah. I do think that there are other layers of that being, you know, gen ed teachers are really um, good working with kids and teaching these larger skills and following units. That's what you went to school for. That is your strength. And that is something that's so different than what we do, which is working on very small niche interventions. And right. I do think that part of the loss in translation is that we are doing education in very different ways. Mm -hmm. And it's just about, excuse me, coming together and either, and it's so school dependent. I don't want to be too specific. I try to be general, but like coming together and, and working with like, what's going to work best for that teacher's teaching style and and then how you can administer your interventions. And that may sound vague, but I think it's two different, two different types of education, two different specialists, a mm -hmm. general teacher, a special ed teacher, trying to work with one kid in their <laughs> specialty. And the same with speech that happens with me in speech all the time. I'm trying to teach phonics. They're trying to teach, you know, articulation. It just sometimes we are specialists in two different things, trying to hit at the same thing. And we just need to like, 
pause for a second and blend our ideas together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that takes time. Time. And it's worth it's worth the time. So I yeah. like I think the one message that I really wanna probably get out to the people who are listening is take the time. Like these kids mm-hmm. are worth it. Like your time is absolutely worth it. Yeah. To make sure that these kids are getting the best that they can from each of you. Um, sure. Is there one way or is there a way that gen ed teachers can support special ed better? If you, if they were to pick one thing to support special ed, what would that be? I think just being more open and, and clear about, um, your plans mm, yeah <laughs> honestly and even if it's silly like even if i get 60 different emails like just including me on whatever it is you're talking about is super helpful but um just yeah just being being more open about the plans that's honestly all we can pretty much create the rest with a with a piece of tape and a toilet paper roll but we just need a little bit <laughs> of knowledge ahead of time <laughs> yeah i think would be the most helpful Okay, good. Yay. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Um, all right. I can't believe that we've almost been talking this long. Holy moly. I know. Um, so I'm, I was going to ask you if you had any advice as a special educator for teachers that are going to be new into special education, but I had a question come to me this week, actually, and I thought of you immediately. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to ask Braylon about this. Yes. So one of my dearest friends is this amazing paraprofessional. She um, worked in my room with one of my, one of my students for two, we were together probably three years, two years. Um, She's just absolutely amazing. She is currently working full time as a para and going to school to get her special ed degree. That's a lot. It is a lot. She is, she is killing it too. Wow. Um, but she is kind of running into this situation with other educators that are like, it's not worth it. I don't know why you would ever want to get into this. Like, this is so like, why are you doing this? This is nothing to be excited about. If you got an A in this class, it's nothing to be excited about. And just like not mm-hmm. <laughs> being encouraging for this this girl was made to be a special educator. Um, what advice would you give, or maybe like a little pep talk to people who are hearing a lot of that? Cause I think a lot of potential educators are hearing why, why would you ever want to do this Yeah, for your life? So pep talk go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, there are a lot, lot less educators coming into the field. I think mm-hmm. than there were before. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think people, people have a kernel of, of truth in what they're saying. It is a weird time to enter education, specifically special ed. Um, but it is like very, very rewarding when you look past the bureaucratic tape mm. and the challenges that pop up, I think in any job weird things pop up in any element of Mm -hmm. education there's some stuff even as a paraprofessional there are limits to what you can do and it's super frustrating and like there's so many barriers and hurdles in like whatever piece of education you work in I think special ed for me it's still and I think for most teachers who are still in it it's like just literally so cool it's just so cool to watch and to utilize all of your skills to figure out how to support a kid that those other like issues and fears are kind of minuscule you know like Mm. they're not they're not as as big I think another thing that's a little bit more practical like in real life is that you are extremely marketable because there's such a shortage so it's a profession you can go in and you can find a job very quickly um which is rare to say like for other parts but in special mm-hmm. ed it's like they'll yeah they'll take anybody at this point um <laughs> but I, I do think that 
there's also so much room for like growth. Like I said, the new transition only happened really 2001 was kind of the start of things shifting. That's only 20 years ago. <laughs> I think about yeah. that all the time. Oh my like, gosh. Yeah. Teachers who are still teaching. I mean, and granted things were changing since the seventies, but a really big push. And I think how cool that that was. Some teachers are taught through that and now. And, and so anyway, I, I think it is tricky. It's challenging, but it's so rewarding and worth it and um you're super marketable and i think people in society have nothing but like up like respect like i've never been disrespected if i say my profession mm-hmm. it holds a lot of esteem i guess and i think it's really cool to know that you're you know a lot about one particular topic and you may not know about math but you know a little bit about <laughs> this and you can work hard at that and um yeah, so I keep trying to tell my friends that too. It's it's scary to think oh, I'm going to this job that people don't really want, but it's so rewarding and so worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times, I think people use their own sense of um, not a little bit of bitterness there. Like yeah. <laughs> some people, there are some people that should not be in education, and I they agree. are. And- <laughs> Unfortunately, their voices are sometimes the loudest about not encouraging you, but discouraging you. And um, yeah, other people's experiences are not your experience. Exactly. Exactly. Ugh, love it. Okay, thank you so much for having that chat with me. Where can we find you? Yeah, um, everything I have is under that special educator. So. YouTube, podcast, Instagram, everything. Um, yeah, I, I like to post. I like to post my life. I like to post teaching, mm-hmm. but nothing too serious. I don't have time for that. So. No, no, I can't. <laughs> no, none of that. That's what I love about you. Ah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the Hot Mess Express. I absolutely adore your passion. I love the wisdom that you have and how you share it for people Mm. like you are just such a voice and a light in special education and just an amazing human. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This was fun. All you hot messes. I am so thankful that you came along for another ride on the hot mess teacher express. And I cannot wait to have you on board again. If you are loving the journey, please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to it so that we can keep going and growing and learning from each other because that's what this is all about. I will see you next time on the Hot Mess Teacher Express. Bye. (laughs) 